So we're going to go ahead and get in the Word together. I'm going to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 5 and 6. We're going to be looking at chapters 5 and 6 and 7 today and reading together. If you are using one of our pew Bibles, which we welcome you to do, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we're on page 50. The, the Scripture will be on the screen behind me. But we offer that pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we want to provide one that we believe is faithful and accurate with the translation, but it's also readable in today's English. And uh, that's our gift to you. It's not just for decoration. It's not just for us to look spiritual. It is for you to be, have help and ultimately have a Bible in your hands. But we want to get it not only in your hands, but in your heart. So we're going to stand today and we're going to talk about a big confrontation that is sizing up in God's Word and I'm going to show it to you uh, as we read what God has provided for us graciously through the Holy Spirit and preserved for us today. Uh, we're going to read chapters 5 and then six, the chapter 6 through 13. I know it's a little bit longer reading today, but I would not do it justice by just having you stand and see, read a small spot. It says, Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go. So they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous and you would stop them from their labor? That day, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out, let us go sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. So the overseers and the foremen of the people went out and said to them, This is what Pharaoh says. I'm not giving you straw. Go get straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, Finish your assigned work each day, just as you did when straw was provided. Then the Israelite foreman whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set out over the people, were beaten and asked, Why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foreman went in and, and cried to, for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to them for your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. But he said, you are slackers, slackers. That is what you are saying. Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. 
The Israelite foreman saw that they were troubled, were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hands to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever see, send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. Because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. Then the Lord God, then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord, Yahweh. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land that they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then God spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. Lord God, we've read your word. You have preserved it for us. May we be reminded today that it is a gift of your grace. It is an echo of your glory that draws us near to your gospel. I pray that we would hear from you today, that we would be taught by you. Help me to be just a faithful servant, hiding behind your shadow as your spirit speaks to us all. And may we be reminded that you, God, are almighty. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our goal each time when we get into the Word is to help people have a greater understanding of it. We want people to know the Bible. We want people to see this is what the Bible says so that your faith is not dependent on a denominational label. It's not dependent on an address of where the church building may be. It's not dependent on the personality of the preacher that you are under. It's not dependent on the circumstances you may find yourself in. It's not dependent on the culture and whether you live in a red state or a blue state. It's not dependent on whether your city is crime-ridden or you're on the privileged sector. It's not dependent on any of those things. It is dependent on who God is, what He has said, and what He has done. And it is told to us and revealed to us in the Word of God, in the Bible. And when we read this, we gain knowledge about God that is deeper than what we could ever come to our own understanding of on our own. We would have all kinds of ideas about God on our own. But the Bible says, I'm not asking you to listen to your all kinds of ideas that you may have or others may have. I'm asking you to see who I am as I am. 
And I've provided that to you in the Scripture. And whenever you see what the Word says, when you see what the Scripture has been, has been brought forth to you, you will gain an understanding of what it says when God gave it, what it meant when it was displaced to the certain people in a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain way, for a certain purpose. This was given to the people of Israel through the hands of Moses. But while it was penned by the hands of Moses, it was authored by God so that they may know Him. They may see who He is and what He was doing in their midst. They might reminded, be reminded that God is timeless and eternal and just as relevant as He was to their ancestors as He is today. And that God is preserving a posterity. He will not let His promises fail. And just as it has that meaning then, it has that meaning today. And it applies to us. As we live in a time of uncertainty, as we, as we live in a time where we may face dejection, where, where we may worry about what others may say, may, when we may look and say, is God able to do these things that are immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine? If, if I take a stand, would God have my back? Am I really able to place my faith and trust in my whole self in His hands? Is God that powerful that I can do that? And I want to give you the resounding yes that is affirmed by Scripture. If God has said, according to His Word and according to confirmation of what you're supposed to do, follow after that because God's promises, God's calling do not fail. In His time, in His way, He will bring to fulfillment that which He's promised and that which He has called. The Israelites had sat in the land of Egypt for 400 plus years. We do not know exactly how long they had been slaves but they had been enslaved for a, a, a long enough time that, that there was a need for a redeemer, a rescuer. And while Moses is the figurehead, the one that leads out front, he is not the supreme one. It is God the Lord who is doing this work to supply this relief, to reveal and provide for this promise. And as he comes, as Moses has, is, arrives on the scene, we've looked at the story and the narrative, uh, the history of Moses in these last few weeks as we talked about the introduction of what Exodus is all about. Then we talked about uh, the, the revelation uh, that, that Moses had from God. We talked about the oppression that was facing the Israelites in their servitude and their slavery. They were politically, culturally, spiritually, economically, socially. Every way that you could think of being enslaved, they were there. And so, when Moses comes, being sent by God, in the time frame that he's sent, he's 80 years old. 80 years old. This has been a work in the making for 80 years in the life of Moses to come to the lives of Israel in God's time, in God's way. When he approaches Pharaoh, guess what happens? Pharaoh goes, oh, oh, oh I'm scared. Okay, you just do thing. No, that doesn't happen. It's not that easy. It's just not that just going to fall into place. And, and well, it fell into place, so this must be the right way. I would dare say that sometimes if we look for just the easy route, it may not be the God route. But I would also say, if you don't follow the God route, you're definitely not taking the easy route. What happens in these moments? Today our goal as we look at this sermon, our aim is to recognize that the confrontation of this world, it does not limit the conquering of the Lord. 
That is, that is the goal and the trajectory we're studying today. That while we face and see confrontation of this world, it does not put a limitation on the conquering of the Lord. And, and what are we to recognize from this moment? What do we recognize from this revelation that we find in the Scriptures? Well, first of all, we've got to recognize the confrontation. It would be foolish of us to say, well, I, I don't want to read anything about the Bible and, and as far as God facing confrontation. No, we need to look at that so we can have encouragement, so we can see what God has done in such a time. So we need to recognize first the confrontation. We need to recognize first when we look at the dialogue from Moses. Moses being sent from God. In verses 1 through 3, he goes to Pharaoh. And he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go. So they may hold a festival for me. Moses is bringing the dialogue that God has sent him to do. Eighty years in the making, he's there. What I would say is when you notice about that, is if God, let me take it back. When God has told us to speak and reveal who he is, it will take words. It will take words. Yes, we are to demonstrate the Lord and His faithfulness in our transformation, in our actions, in our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our, in our faith, love, speech, purity, devotion. Those are all ways we're set the examples. But God is going to require us to make Him known through words. How, just think about it this. What if God had not given us His word? How do we ever know who He is? How will we ever know who he is if he had not chosen to speak? We wouldn't. We would have no clue. We would be like the rest of the world that could understand that according to nature, I see there's a God who is orderly. According to the rationale and the, and the consciousness, I see, I see there's a God who, who has a, a relational fact. But to know his name, to know who he is, to know him closely and personal, it would not be available to us. If God had not spoke, we would just see actions and have a mystery. But God, because he has provided actions and accompany those with a chosen, gracious speech to show who he is, we now can draw close to him. We can now tell others about him. And so Moses, after we saw you last week, when we talked about this revelation, whenever Moses had all these excuses of why he was so insufficient and God showed all these reasons why he was more than sufficient. Moses goes and delivers the words. He has the dialogue with Pharaoh. But then in this confrontation, confrontation, we see the defiance of Pharaoh in verses two through nine as, as he dialogues back with Moses, there's this edge and an air of defiance. He pushes back. Of course he does. This is his economic trade. This is his labor. This is his workforce. This is the people doing the jobs that, that he could force to do it. But there's a few things you'll notice in this defiance. First, you'll notice the ignorance of Moses. Now, I, I mean of Pharaoh. I, I'm not being mad, mean at, at people. But there are some people that are going to be a lot like Pharaoh. Their reason for defiance is just simply they do not know the Lord. Who is this God that you're speaking of? They just don't know. And whenever there's certain things that you don't know, when there's an uncertainty about something, how many of you are so like just gung-ho about something you're completely uncertain about? You're just ready to jump in, right? Oh yeah, that sounds great. I'll follow up that. No, if it's something you're uncertain about, you don't have knowledge about, that you're ignorant about, 
you're kind of like, I don't know if I, I, I need some more facts. I, I need, some, I have some questions that need to be answered. Now, some people out of this ignorance, they'll, they'll be honest and open to say, tell me what I don't know. Help me learn. Help me see. Show me. But there'll be others who'll be like, I don't know it. I don't need it. Pray for them both. And pray that God would use you in both. So Moses, uh, Pharaoh, he, he is defiant because of his ignorance. He says, who is this Lord that I should listen to? Who is this God that I should obey him? Not only do you see the ignorance, but you also see the insolence. He's kind of, he's arrogant about it. How dare you say that there's someone that can dictate what I do? That's the next reason you see defiance. It's not only because people don't know, but the how dare you? How dare God? Who is there to say that I can't be, can't do, can't believe, and live in this way? Well, it's not just God. We've put a lot of laws out there that say there's a lot of things that you can't do. And good for it. But God is the ultimate authority. The reason we have such laws to begin with, the reason we have such principles, the reason we have such thoughts of, of posterity and dignity and preservation of life and fighting for what is right and, and opposing what is wrong. But here, He is insolence. I don't know the Lord. And besides, I'm not going to let Him go. Even if He is a God, I defy Him. I'm insolent. I'm arrogant. I oppose his authority. You're going to find people like that. You might have been one. You might be one. I've been guilty of that. And not so blatantly out front. That I'm like, how dare God? But that questionable point like, well, I don't know if God knows what he's talking about in this area. I think I'll let him cover these spots that I'm comfortable with. But these other areas, nah, I'm not letting him in on that. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not letting God intrude. While I don't say it, the very activity of such rebellion is insolent. How dare God have a say in my life? How dare God have the authority? And in all of us, whether we are Know the Lord or we are far from Him. Whether they're ignorant or insolent, they need prayer. They need hope. They need help to understand. In this moment, Pharaoh, when faced with the, the revelation of God, he pushes away. And you see the start of, of God opening the door and an act of grace with Pharaoh. But God already knows what Pharaoh is going to do. But you still see the opportunity and yet Pharaoh rejects it. You not only see the insolence, but you see the impudence. You see the hatred that stirs up. He gets so angry about this that instead of letting just bygones be bygones or anything like that, I mean, God's setting up the confrontation. He's not going to be able to let bygones be bygones. But instead of just saying, all right, get out of my presence. I'm tired of hearing this. I don't want to hear it no more. No, he goes a step further. He says, because of this, I'm going to punish them. 
Because I see this, I am going to punish them. And he lays this heavy labor. He goes a step further. These people are already slaved. They're already being beaten. They're, some of them are already facing death. Of course they've been facing death. They've had to throw their infants in the Nile River. But he goes a step further. He adds insult to injury by saying, you know what? The labor that I'm going to cause them to do, I'm going to tell them to go find their own straw. All these hundreds of thousands of men, they're going to have to go find their own straw, fight amongst each other to get that straw, and then make the same number of bricks as they scoop up the mud and the dung and the stinky clay water of the Nile and make these bricks. And hell hath no fury if they don't make the same number. I will beat them. You see the utter defiance of Pharaoh. You see it in his ignorance. You see it in his insolence. You see it in his impudence. And I will tell you that sometimes, sometimes when people are faced with the knowledge of God, there's going to be blowback. There's going to be blowback. We should not be surprised at it. If God allows such activity to happen, but we should never mistake that for as God withdrawing his hand either. It was allowed in this moment. You see all of this. You see the damages inflicted by the people as they're having to go face the, the straw and, and the, and the brick game of building it. You see these damages, this blowback that, that it pushes people down and puts pressure on their shoulders. That they begin questioning. Moses, what are you doing? Aaron, who do you think you are? Why would God make this harder than it is? And instead of saying, God, we're trusting your hand of deliverances, they're focusing on the damages. They're focusing on the pain of the moment instead of the God who delivers them from it. And we live in a society that is so fearful of the damages. We do. I am thankful we live in a culture where we have so many freedoms and liberties. But there could be a day in America where those are not there. And if they go away, I don't want them to go away, those liberties. But that's only because the country tried to take them. The government tried to limit them. They never removed them from God's authority. But we should never be so fixated on looking at the possibility of damages that we take our eyes off the deliverer. That God is still able to work. But that's what happened. The dejection of the Israelites that we see here in this confrontation after the damages are inflicted, they, they turn and say, you've, you've made us reek in the eyes of Pharaoh. I don't even hear the name of the Lord. You made a stink. They would not listen. They would not listen. Chapter 6 says they did not listen to them because of their broken spirit and hard labor. When we face the people that maybe even are brothers and sisters in Christ and they say, they're fearful or they're in the midst of the damages and they're dejected. Here's what we must do. We don't need to come and put our arm around them and say, God's got a plan. We don't need to do that. You notice we only say God's got a plan when it's something bad that happens. <laughs> you notice that? We never go up and say to the person that's got a raise and a promotion, man, God's got a plan. Because we don't want to seem like we're presumptuous. 
When someone's going through battle, we just do that and we pat them on the back. And Maybe they don't need to hear that right now, but what they need to hear is let us trust in the Lord. Because we don't know what that plan is. And, and, and we don't, haven't even, maybe we've not even seen it yet. Moses had a glimpse of it. But what we can do is say, let us still trust in the Lord. Turn our eyes to Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. What happens whenever you have this dialogue that leads to defiance, that leads to damages, that leads to dejection? What do you do in such a confrontation? This is real talk, y'all. This is real talk because we face a day where God is calling us to still ever be faithful to His Word, to be mindful and living out and demonstrating the Gospel in in a world that, let's just face it, has always been hostile to these things of God. But we are feeling it a little more pressure in our culture when we have been a little bit alleviated of it for so long. Are we going to stand back? Are we going to say, God, in the middle of the confrontations of this world, may we be reminded it does not limit the conquering of our Lord. So we must notice the confrontation, but we almost turn our eyes to the conqueror. And this is what Moses did. Now, he did it in a way that you can see Moses' pouty face. You can see him almost like, I'm taking the gloves off, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Ever since I came back here, God, I'm 80 years old, I ain't got time for this. He's almost ready to throw in the towel. But what does God say to him? He says, The Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of the strong hand. He let them, he will let them go. He says, I'm going to show you my dominance. You, you've heard what Pharaoh's done. You've seen the damage he's inflicted. You've seen the dejection. You've heard the defiance. I'm going to show what I'm going to do. And I'm going to show you that there are no limitations with me. And what I'm going to do is going to be surprising because not only is He going to let you go, He's going to be like, please go! We can't stand any more of the dominance of God on our land. Please go. God tells Him, I'm going to show you my power. But not only am I going to show you the dominance of, of my power as the conqueror, I am going to show you that these promises, these declarations that I have made, these covenants that you have received that were passed down from Abraham to you, I am going to show you that those things are not null and void. They are full and will be paid in full. They will be received. I am going to show you that what I have declared about who I am and my promises to do what I will do will happen. He says, I want you to know, I am the Lord. Every time we see those words, the Lord, it's a shortening of that word Yahweh. Many times the people that were writing the letters for the Lord, they were so scared of taking the name of the Lord in vain that they would take the word, the letters, just Y that equal Y H W H, and they would put them in the text, but they would never put a vowel next to it. 
The reason we say Yahweh is it takes the vowels from Adonai and it puts them in the spaces so we can say the word. But they were so scared of taking the name. But nevertheless, it still means when you see those words that this God is I am who I am. I do what I do. I will be what I will be. And I cause to be what I cause to be. Trust that I have the power to do this. That you're not trusting in some magic wish, some abracadabra, some incantation, or anything. You're trusting the God who is and always will be. The God who began it all, the God who will complete it all. He says, I have established my covenant with the people. I established my covenant with with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But even they, even they, they didn't know my full name yet. They knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty. They, they knew me as El Elyon, the, the, the Most High God. They knew me as El Olam, the, the Everlasting God. They knew me as Adonai, the Lord. They knew me as Elohim, the Creator. They knew those things. But I have revealed my name to you, Moses. I'm choosing now to do a very specific thing. I'm the same as I was then, but I've chosen now to place my name on you and on my people to show that I'm a God who bears His name on His people and He does not take it away. Because my promises do not fail. He says, I've heard this groaning. Don't worry, these are not going to put limitations on what I'm about to do. We also see not only the dominance of the Redeemer and the declaration of the Redeemer, we see the deliverance that comes from the Redeemer. He says, I tell the Israelites that I am the Lord and I will bring you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery. I'm about to bring you liberty. I'm about to bring you freedom. A freedom you have not had. You will no longer carry the title of slaves. You will carry the title of once enslaved, now free. We like to sing those songs, don't we? I once was lost. But now I'm once was blind, but now I New Testament says we were once slaves to sin. Now we're free. The, the New Testament tells us that we once were dead. Now we are alive. This is liberty that is proclaimed. A new identity. A life that they had not known before. And without the intervention of God, they would not have to begin with. God says, I am bringing this liberation to you. I am also bringing this salvation for you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. Verse 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to redeem you, purchase you, save you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I'm going to do this. Not only am I going to make you free, I'm going to make you special. And not only am I going to bring you special by by saving you and redeeming you and purchasing you out of slavery through the work of my mighty hand, I'm going to take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God. It's the echo of adoption. That this salvation that God offers is not just, oh, I'm out of hell now, no longer a slave. No, He says, you're my child. You once didn't have a family. You once didn't have a name. You once didn't have a people. You once didn't have an identity. And I am choosing to adopt you. 
that you will be mine. I will love you as my own. I will be yours. You can love me as your own. How beautiful and special is that gift of grace that God is providing to this people considered worthless and of no value aside from their economic ability to the people of Egypt. God says, no, you're more than just some economic trade. You're my special possession. You're my child. And I want to adopt you. We see in verse 8 that this, this deliverance of God, the, the deliverance of the Redeemer, comes not only with liberty to make you free, salvation to redeem you, adoption to make you His own, but it comes with provision. Verse 8 says this. He says, I'm going to bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to give it to you as a possession. And I, I am the Lord. I'm going to do it. That not only will you be my special people, but I'm going to put you in a special place. And the reason I'm going to put you in a special place is not only to care for your needs because I've adopted you and I've saved you and I've freed you. Those are all activities that, that uh, having your own place preserves. But I'm going to put you in a special place that, so that also the nations around you, the reason that Israel was even created along with being the lineage through which Christ would come was so that we would be an echo that resonated that God is able to save. That He is the God above all other deities that could ever be named even though they are not gods. As we'll see that that doesn't happen in the way that they were meant to live it out, but that's not where we're at this point. God's still choosing to do it. And I'm thankful that's the case. I'm thankful that there's a God who says that I will redeem you in spite of you. And I will redeem you not in spite of who you were, but who you are and who you will be. Because He knows my many mistakes before I'll ever make it. Does that give me an excuse to keep on sinning? Heavens, no. It doesn't. But God has seen it and He still saves and loves in spite of it. God says, I'm going to do this for my people. But not only am I going to do that, When you look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, you'll see a little bit ahead of where we're at that God says, I'm also going to do something else. He says, it's good that we can redeem and rescue people out of a bad situation. But uh, the whole situation isn't like, just get them out of there and leave those people alone. He says, no, I will not allow wrong to go unpunished. I will not let evil continue. I will do my work and my time and my way. Verses seven, chapter seven, verses one through five says, I have made you like a God to Pharaoh. You'll be, you'll be a deity in front of him. And Aaron, your brother will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you. Then Aaron, your brother must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from this land. But, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes the pages stick together. And multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, Israelite, the Israelites, out of the land by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I am who I say I am. And I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. That says there will be retribution. The whole goal of redemption is not just to provide people with escape. It's to show that evil will not be tolerated. 
it will not be promoted in God's plan. And so what do we see in this conquering of the Lord? We see His dominance. We see His declaration. We see His deliverance. But we also see His deployment. He doesn't let Moses off the hook. He says, go, I'm sending you again. This conversation, you're going to have another time. And you're going to have it another time. And you're going to have it another time. And you're going to have another time. Each time an extension of, of God's grace to the people saying, I am going to deliver my people that I've chosen, but I'm extending a, a, a personal statement. This is who I am. Stop what you're doing. Follow after me. And they will not listen. But nevertheless, you're still to go. I don't know about you, but that puts a pressure on my life that is needed. None of us like pressure, but sometimes we need a pressure from God. A little urging, a little kick in the pants, if you will. You know what that pressure is? Just because they didn't listen the first time doesn't mean you stop going. Just because they turned away the first time doesn't mean you stop teaching. Just because they, they, they pushed back doesn't mean you don't push in and say, I, I'm doing it out of love. You keep going and being faithful to what I have told you. They may never turn back. In fact, their heart may be continually hardened. But it does not take you off the hook from being my deployed child. My means, my instrument in the moment. Maybe we'll be reminded that we are God's instrument. We're saying, God, use me, play me however you want. Because he's the one that's able to take the tool, the instrument, and make it a beautiful masterpiece. He's the one that's able to make it work. Every now and then, um, I go back to some of my roots from the south and stuff, and I like to listen to a little jazz, a little New Orleans-style music and stuff. One of my favorite artists is, you know, not like, Really unknown. I'm not that hipster, not that that uh, you know indie kind of guy, but I love listening to Louis Armstrong. I mean, just that scratchy voice. Sometimes I couldn't understand what he was saying, but the way he would sing, and then he would take that trumpet and he would just make it sing. But once again, it was Louis making the trumpet sing. See, we're tools in God's hands. We're His gloves. We don't provide the punch. We don't provide the the work. But in God's hands, he does something that says, I am the Lord. And when that statement is heard and seen and made evident, it leaves an impact. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we come to the conclusion of this time in your word, I pray that for some in this room who may have lost heart because of burdens and bitterness or other means, maybe they feel dejected. Today, remind them that you were conqueror. Today, remind them that those confrontations, those moments, whether they face defiance or just feel the damages, remind them that you are the Lord. And that you are not done. God, for us as a church, 
We live in a city that's hard. We work in places that are hard. We face people that are sometimes hardened. But it does not mean that you are done. God, remind us once again that you are the Lord. And God, when it comes to our own life, sometimes we may find ourselves in the moment of defiance. Maybe it's because of what we don't yet know. God, help us know. Maybe it's in the moment of defiance because we just think we've got it all together. Remind us, Lord, that you're the Lord. And remind us of our reactions when we try to push back and do things that go a whole different way opposed to who you are. God, remind us you are the Lord. And remind us that as the Lord, your promises do not fail. Remind us that as the Lord, your power is more than able. Remind us that as the Lord, your provision is available through the cross. Remind us, says the Lord, that the gospel is just as alive and available and victorious as it was when you gave it, as it was when we received it, as it was when we tell it to others. Show us that you are the Lord and we are your instruments. Gloves in your hands, tools in your fists. hearts with your embrace show us that you're the lord and nothing overcomes the lord thank you jesus for this moment in your name we pray amen